Greetings and welcome to The Second Question, a podcast for educators and those who love education. I'm your host, Martin Silverman, a public school educator from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Now, let's answer the second question. Welcome to the 10th episode of The Second Question. I can hardly believe that I'm already on episode 10. It's really going by quickly. And I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying presenting this podcast, getting to talk to some really interesting and fun people, and just in general, you know, getting to share some of my stories with you, and especially some of the stories of my guests with you as well. I appreciate you hanging out with me for all my episodes, but you know, this is a little bit monumental. I guess we're on episode 10. So uh, congratulations to the second question. You know, this episode is one that I am just so appreciative that I got the opportunity to do. I became connected with Brad Hughes quite recently. We're connected on Twitter and we had a little conversation after I sent him a message uh, showing him appreciation for his wonderful podcast, The Good News, Brad News Podcast, that uh, I'm sure most of you, if you don't already listen to, uh, are going to listen to as soon as you're done listening to this episode. Brad is a principal. He's an elementary school principal up in Ontario, Canada. And even though we're far apart in miles, we have a lot of the same thinking, a lot of the same beliefs. And I find that when I listen to Brad speak, I get so much inspiration and, uh, you know, you can really feel the warmth and the dedication that he has to his profession and to other people. Brad and I had the opportunity this evening to speak about his journey as an educator and especially his insight into how developing culture is important in a school. Uh, you hear it in a lot of different ways, but I think Brad gives a very unique and uh, very warm take on developing school culture. And of course, Brad gives a beautiful tribute to his favorite teacher when he answers the second question. I look forward to you listening to this interview with Brad Hughes. And without further ado, I introduce Brad Hughes. All right, welcome to the 10th episode of The Second Question. And I have a guest today that I am just thrilled to have. It's, uh, I'm going to call him a new friend. We've recently connected on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, this is Brad Hughes. And Brad is a school principal in Ontario, Canada. And one of the things in Brad's biography that I really like reading, and he probably put this as an afterthought, but it says that Brad describes himself as an optimist and recovering perfectionist who's passionate about leading with love and improving the lives of kids 
by supporting the adults that serve them. So we're going to want to know a little bit more about that for sure. And Brad is also the host of the Good News Brad News podcast that I can't recommend enough. If you want uh, something to listen to that is exciting, but also soothing and informational and conversational and will definitely spark your thinking and conversation. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce our guest, Brad Hughes. So, Martin, it's Brad, fantastic to be with you. I can't you thank you enough to... for that kind introduction. Well, Brad, thank you. And and why don't you, you know, I told a little bit about yourself that you told about yourself in your biography, but why don't you tell us all a little bit about your leadership journey? How did you get to where you are right now? Martin, this is my 25th year in education. Uh, after 16 years as a classroom teacher, uh, I made the shift to school leadership and was appointed vice principal in my district. Uh, and uh, this is my coming up on my 10th year in school leadership and my fifth as building principal. So uh, it's been a fantastic journey through uh, kindergarten to eighth grade classrooms. Uh, most recently, I taught middle school, visual arts, French, uh, special education. Um, and it was my first vice principalship in a middle school that really uh, taught me and allowed me to really dig in with a community of um, folks that were there for all the right reasons and there for the kids. And so that's the kind of school community that I try uh, and build along with my staff members is uh, a community that is there for the kids and there for each other, a community that that's built uh, on better and better understanding the needs of our kids what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what gets them fired up, um, how and when they need to be comforted, reassured, uh, when we have opportunities to inspire, to motivate, but, you know, also just to to lighten the mood, to keep things fun and, and to make school, you know, a place where kids and families and, and our guest teachers and other staff members look forward to coming. And you um, are the CEO of your school, correct? <laughs> You're right. I'm the chief encouragement officer, and uh, it's uh, it, it, it's it's part of how I, I think I'm built, Martin, from the inside out. I'm uh, I'm I'm highly motivated to connect, uh, to engage with people, even just on a moment to moment basis, and and see what I can do to to lighten their spirit or to uh, brighten their day, lighten their load. Um, and I find for me, looking outwards for opportunities, not only to connect but to serve. Uh, and to help others, um, it's a great antidote to you know stresses or worries that I might be experiencing uh, in my role, or just um, it's just a way for me to 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 know my people and to serve my kids. And and as you said in the biography, it, it really is uh, a journey of greater and greater clarity of purpose for me, Martin. That uh, I'm determined to uh, serve kids by serving the adults that um, that love and support them. I love that. And I'm, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. So I'm going to actually flip my questions. I'm going to go to my uh, one of my later questions, and I'm going to start it now. Um, you, what, what you describe is not something that is typically taught in uh, principal school, right? Uh, when you go to become a school leader, the what some people would call the soft skills are not explicitly taught to us. So how do you go about 
developing that in yourself. And you serve, I'm sure, as a role model to other school leaders. Uh, I'm sure you've mentored other school leaders or uh, certainly have been mentored by other school leaders. How do you teach school leaders to be human? I'm going to use the word that you used. How do you teach that? For me, Martin, it's um, it's about modeling the desired behaviors, the desired attitudes, uh, the desired perspectives that that position you as a supporter, a cheerleader, uh, someone who is working side by side uh, with your staff team, and indeed side by side with kids and their parents and families as well. And you're right; it, it's not explicitly taught, maybe in our principals qualification courses. I, I remember our courses were um, highly founded on uh, procedures, on scenarios, on uh, working through possibilities, uh, working through uh, litigious, uh, moral, ethical, political decisions. You want to make sure that you've got a strong foundation of, you know, as my principal instructor said, making sure that you're you're taking care to do things by the book. And and what I found just just an experience, and I guess, as I mentioned earlier, greater greater clarity of purpose, but also greater and greater encouragement by my own leadership mentors that there there is a place in every school for a school leader to be himself or herself. Um, and I think I've always been highly aligned with um, with relations and relational trust. Um, what I've been able to find is, you know. Founding every good thing that we do within our school, within our community on those relationships allows me to invest in the people that are really going to make things happen for kids. And then, uh, you know, building that trust and, and, and building that relationship bank account where people know that you have their backs. Then when you are called to work through uh, procedural matters with those folks or when you're called to work through procedural matters with um with parents, um, they know that you're doing so founded on that relationship that you've invested in. And, and uh, I, I'm so proud of how our school community functions in terms of its responsiveness to our family members and our kids and our community. Um, and, and all of us is working, is, all of us is walking a really humble path as a co-learner along with our kids and families. Um, so while it may not be something that I was taught in terms of my courses, it is something that that, that anybody can make a decision to uh, to engage and to embrace. And I I think there's no wrong time to adapt or to change one's trajectory to be even more focused on those important relationships that make all the good things happen. I, I agree, Brad. And you know, um, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were telling that was we have uh, in our country, very often school leadership positions uh, with a large turnover rate. So people are in a position for a short amount of time and they move. I'm not sure if that's exactly the same where you are. And so in many cases, the impact has to be made fairly quickly if you're going to make that impact. Uh, If you were advising somebody who was new to a position, not necessarily knowing what their longevity would be in that position. What advice would you give them to start out with that relationship building? It's always hard to say how long a building principal is going to be 
uh, able to, to to be in place, to stay in place, to make that impact. I think uh, research would suggest that it, it may take five to seven years uh, before an individual can really see the fruits of his or her labors and his or her influence. And, and you're right, unfortunately, uh, turnover rate for a number of understandable reasons, understandable stresses, understandable barriers is 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 and can be really high. Um, if if I was coaching someone and we sort of took a take a look at maybe a three year plan as they're coming into a, a new building or a new district, um, I would suggest taking the first year and and just devoting oneself to knowing the community and and not breaking anything. That is, keep things running the way they are. Um, do what you can to influence best practice. Uh, and take really good notes about opportunities that you see both in terms of instructional practice and also in terms of relational practice with the community that you'd like to improve. But but in order to move anybody forward on any kind of change, Martin, you have to be able to motivate them and influence them uh, with relational trust. And so you want to build as much relationship uh uh, trust as you can, and much uh, pack as much into the relational bank account as you can, so that in the second year you can find those people with whom you feel aligned. You can find the people who are not just the movers and shakers in sort of a strong or or you know uh, active way in your school community, but you see and listen, and you, you learn who people are listening to, and, and you want to gather a few of those folks and and help them lead from within. Help them lead improvement in your school building from within. You're going to need allies to do that. Um, and so that's where the second year comes in is you you draw on the relational trust and you, along with a, you know, a cadre of, of like-minded, uh, change-minded or improvement-minded uh, staff members, you start to make a few small changes. You might ask yourself, for example, what small change might make the biggest impact based on what we know about our kids' learning needs, our kids' social emotional needs, our kids' sense of security. And then, um, so year two is is about uh, leveraging influence. And then year three is about looking back at the growth. Um, and then year three, maybe when you can start swinging for the fences, you can demonstrate to your staff community that all of you together have, as a team, have what it takes uh, to make important changes happen for the community. You can celebrate the growth. And then you can take a look at what's the next bigger step we can take. And and over time, you, you, you see how small wins can accumulate to at least developing the confidence that big changes are possible. All of us as school leaders and all of us as educators, there, there are so many different drivers that, that influence how we behave, what we think, uh, and and how we respond and how we anticipate change. And so, you know, through those three years, Martin, if the school leader can, you know, can build a team of staff members to to really get clear on what those drivers are and, and should be. Um, and it's, it's a delicate balance, isn't it, between, um, I guess, putting a district or, um, or state or provincial or, or national priorities into place um, making sure all those checks and balances are being taken care of, but also just showing respect and love and care for the uniqueness that is your school communities. That I think that's the art of leadership is finding ways to balance uh, the priorities of many 
with the with the unique opportunities within uh, one school community. I, you know, I totally agree with that. And what you're describing is what I would call building the school culture to be one that kind of becomes almost a thing in and of itself. It's not personality driven. It's not uh, dependent on one person, but it's kind of dependent on the what become the norms and the and the mores, I guess, of the school community. And uh, that way, uh, whether even if a leader changes, it should not change that whole school community. So I, you know, I appreciate that uh, the way you laid out that three-year plan. I think that's. I hope people who are listening have uh, taken notes and are writing that down because <laughs> hopefully we have some aspiring school leaders that just got a masterclass uh, from you, Brad. I'm sure they appreciate that very much. Um, I want to shift just a bit and talk about something that I read that you wrote, and that was your recent blog post where you talked about student behavior. And, you know, earlier uh, in this interview, you mentioned about things changing because of the different stressors that are, uh, you know, that are upon us. And to be realistic, you know, March 2020 started a big stress, but really stress was here before then, and it will be here after that. And you talk about uh, part of school culture building when you talk about student behavior. And you make a point about the difference between misbehavior and stress behavior. And I wonder if you would uh, talk a little bit about that. It was, uh, Martin, it was my learning through uh, self-reg and, and the Merritt Center uh, here in Ontario. Um, Dr. Stuart Schenker, Dr. Susan Hopkins, and uh, uh, just an, an incredible uh, course that I took uh, called Self-Reg for School Leadership that that really taught me to reframe what we would typically see as as misbehavior um, to uncover underlying stresses that may be contributing to what we're seeing. Um, and I know that in school, I, school leaders, we, we lead how we were led uh, and those around us will respond to and support uh, behavior management or behavior modification or behavior intervention as they were taught to do that too. So for me personally and for my school community, I think for a lot of districts in, in general, a shift away from simply cause and effect uh, behavior and consequence approaches to really being courageous enough to look beyond what we're seeing, even though it can be disconcerting, troubling, frightening, um, what we need to do is to peel back the layers on behavior and treat all behavior as communication. And if we posit that behavior is communication, it's telling us something about how kids and even adults, you know, the adults around us are are feeling, interacting, and and um, communicating back to us maybe unmet needs, uh, things that can be voiced or not voiced, things that are known or unknown to them. And um Self-reg taught me to uh, become a stress detective. Uh, I remember really clearly coaching a teacher uh, who had a student who uh, was demonstrating off-task, disruptive, um, troubling behavior in the classroom. And, and all of our 
behavior response approaches, all of our rewards, all of our incentives, all of our consequences, all of our tracking, all of our parent communication, it didn't seem to be making a difference. And it was actually a tweet uh, that I saw from the Merit Center that 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 caused me to reflect and then to sort of take a big step forward with this teacher and our staff team to say, what if we just had a hypothesis here? What What if we just wondered if what we're seeing is stress behavior rather than misbehavior. Maybe it's not a child who is determined to disrupt or a child that's determined to be off task or or determined to frustrate us or others around the student. What might be behind the behavior that we see? And so not knowing a lot about self-reg nor about becoming a stress detective, I, I had people alongside me that were willing to, to go on this ride with me and say, okay, what could it be? And so we did a lot to try to uncover um, uh, environmental stresses, uh, you know, the, the way the classroom might have been organized, the, the noise level, the light level, the amount of activity. Uh, we tried to uncover other stresses in conversation with the child and with the family uh, in terms of uh, social and pro-social stresses, emotional stresses. Um, if there were any uh, health-related stresses or family-related stresses that the child was experiencing. And as we began to uncover some of the stresses, we had an opportunity to try to, to limit or reduce what we could. And then for those stresses that we, that we couldn't impact, what we tried to do is we tried to build opportunities in the day for, for the student to recover lost energy. You know, we, you know, we all, sort of we have empty tanks of gas at the end and often we'll see uh, escalated or disruptive or, or certainly off-task behavior in students when those gas tanks are em- empty. So um, gradually the the behaviorist, the, the, you know, the cause and effect, the behavior modification approaches that we'd all been taught and that were modeled by, you know, our behavior resource teachers and behavior support staff. Um, over time, Martin, we've been able to replace a lot of those approaches with 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 relational approaches that that are founded on examining uh, the role of a variety of overlapping stresses in in a child's life uh, and working to identify them and working to address them what self-reg calls address them upstream so address them before uh, the compounding stresses uh, result in a child or an adult uh, tipping over uh, once you tip over that, you go over the the tipping point um, for a child. It could result in in meltdown. It could result in shutdown. Um, and it's amazing uh, once you begin to examine uh, uh, the stresses around us. Um, causes you also to reflect on the, the stresses and challenges in your own life. And and for me, uh, what I'm able to both model and teach and grow is is through this process of of understanding myself as, as a, both a consumer of energy in terms of you know my, my passionate approach to learning and leading and living and, and all of my different roles, and also uh, modeling opportunities you know for myself, for my family, and for my staff members to to take time to reconnect or disconnect if it serves to restore lost energy. So um, I, I can't recommend uh, learning from the Merit Center and from Dr. Shanker and, and Dr. Hopkins enough. Uh, it was transformative learning for me, Martin. And I, I, I there is, there's absolute evidence in my school community and in, in, in my personal networks uh, that it's making a difference to kids and to families. Uh, and sometimes with kids and families, it's, it's a long 
game. It's a long process of trust building uh, and adapting your approaches so that your approaches are meeting the needs of the kids and families in front of you, uh, not necessarily the other way around. Uh, if you can meet people where they are, instead of you know, instead of expecting them to come to where you feel you need them to be, uh, that goes a long, long way. You know, uh, one of the things that struck me as you were speaking was you mentioned even you used the word upstream thinking. And um, it's just funny that you mentioned that now because I just recently attended a conference, a virtual conference, and Dan Heath, the, the author of the book Upstream, and I was just looking it up so I get the title. It's called Upstream, The Quest to Solve Problems mm-hmm. Before They Happen. And he was one of the keynotes, and I brought that uh, kind of a synopsis of the book to my staff, and I was more than pleasantly surprised that people want to do a book study on that book. And not only is this the first time that the request for the book study has come from them, but I think the the notion of upstream thinking is, I, I love that the people that I work with are wanting to explore that more. So I'm looking very forward to it. I have the books on order at Amazon. I'm just waiting for them to to show up. So I'm excited about that and, and glad that you made that connection uh, for me as well. Okay, Brad, time in this podcast to talk about what the podcast is founded on, and that is the answer <laughs> to the second question. And so I'm going to ask you the second question I would ask to anybody who is doing a teacher interview with me, and that is, Brad, who's the best teacher you ever had, and why were they the best? Martin, I want to tell you about uh, Debbie Tuck, uh, who was my modern language teacher at Westminster Secondary School uh, in London, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I met Debbie when I was in grade 10. Uh, Debbie was my uh, French and German teacher from grade 10, from 10th grade to, we had grade 13 to 13th grade. Um, And uh, Debbie uh, was a force. She was dramatic. She was wickedly funny. She was energetic. She could be dead serious about uh, a kid's potential. uh, And she could give you uh, just a look that let you know that she was in it with you a hundred percent. Debbie, um, I, I mean, Debbie also sparked in me uh, the. I mean, she she sparked the spark of the educator for me. So we had a, a peer tutoring program at our high school. Uh, and, uh, at some point, Debbie, who administered that peer tutoring program said, Brad, we could really use you as a tutor. Um, and so we were matched up with, uh, with other similar age kids in our high school, uh, for tutoring in all kinds of subjects. And, you know, so it was Debbie's belief in me that sort of was the spark and, and served to reinforce what, you know, as I said earlier, serve to reinforce what I'm, we're, what I'm all about is, is connection and service. But in learning to be a peer tutor in a high school, Martin, it was real important. Uh, and Debbie stressed this with all of the tutors. It's important to meet your peers where they are. Um, you know, you're a, you're a peer coming for tutoring. You're in a vulnerable position. 
You're in an I need to know, I need to learn, I need to succeed position. And so as a tutor, you're not in a know-it-all position. You're in a, okay, let's come alongside. How can we make this positive and productive for both of us? How, how can I leave this encounter with you, whether I'm tutoring you in you know French or calculus or whatever it is? How can we leave these encounters that happen over lunch hour uh, where, where you're leaving uh, with a little bit more uh, capacity, a little more confidence, a little more knowledge, but but above all, how can you leave the interaction you know, able to, you know, continue to interact positively with each other in the hallways when you see each other? How, how do you keep your peers coming back and knowing that you're safe? Um, there's an element, element of confidentiality in there too. And so I, I anyway, I, that, that's where I really learned to respect the, uh, the teacher student or the, or the peer-to-peer coaching relationship. Um, and, and Debbie was my constant in terms of how I approached, um, you know, my own approach to, a language learning so and language instruction. So in my 16 years as a, as a classroom educator, uh, all but one of them was teaching French language. Uh, and so Debbie's love of drama, theatrics, comedy, music, dance, actions, uh, everything was just that that just resonated in, in my practice too, Martin, as a, as a language educator. And and above all, you know, leaving kids glad that you came. Sorry, in my case, I, so I in my case, I was a rotary teacher, so I, I would literally wheel my cart into a variety of of, of classrooms on forty minute periods, and I wanted to make sure that I arrived and I left, and kids were glad I came. I was certainly happy every time I came into Debbie Tuck's classroom. Uh, she built a classroom that was full of fun and community. You know, uh, special cultural events, language events. Uh, coffee houses, uh, school events, but just bringing the kids together as a community and, and language learners, like many other aspects of, you know, of learning life, it's, there is, there is an element of risk in language learning. You proceed at the risk of error. You proceed at the risk of, you know, feedback uh, from your teacher or peers on, on how your language is progressing. But Debbie made it safe and fun. Uh, and Debbie made it okay to be uh, dramatic and brash, and and she made it okay to come alongside her students, um, come alongside her students as you know a co-learner and as a co-enjoyer, a co-enjoyer if I can coin that I guess. But you know someone who was coming alongside us, uh, enjoying every moment of it. So I owe so much to uh, Debbie Tuck, uh, and uh, I'm really grateful. And I, I know that if she had a chance to talk with me now or to observe my language classes or even to, you know, to, to learn more about how I approach leadership and educational life. I, I think that she'd see uh, so many of the great things that she modeled reflected back to her. Well, I think that is just a beautiful tribute to her. And I'm so excited that not only did you give that beautiful tribute, but you also coined a new vocabulary word, co-enjoyer is going to now become part of the, the language. And so, uh, you know, you heard it here first, folks, that out of the mouth of, of Brad Hughes, we have a new word in the language. So uh, thank you very much for that. Brad, I know that people are going to listen to this podcast and want to connect with you. And so um, what would be the best way that people could connect with you? Martin, I would be delighted uh, to connect with uh, with anyone uh, through uh, Twitter. 
I'm at Brad, B-R-A-D underscore Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S. My podcast is the Good News, Brad News Podcast. And so that's at Brad News Podcast on Twitter. Um, I'm taking a few tentative steps on Instagram, and I can also be reached on Facebook. Um, All of my contact information is is available on Twitter and is available at anchor.fm slash Brad, B-R-A-D hyphen H-U-G-H-E-S. And I certainly welcome uh, feedback and connection, Martin, through this process. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with you, my friend. This has been a fantastic conversation. Well, uh, I'm sure you could not have enjoyed it as much as I have, Brad. And I appreciate you uh, being able to be available so quickly. And uh, I was looking forward to this meeting of the, I would say a meeting of the minds, but uh, that may be a little bit uneven in this case. I'm going to give the advantage here to you. Um, Again, (laughs) I want to thank my guest this evening, Brad Hughes, and we look forward to connecting. I look forward to connecting more with you and look forward to uh, my listeners connecting with you as well. And that's it for today's episode of The Second Question. Thanks for joining us. If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell your friends. And don't forget to join us for the next episode where we will answer the second question. Mm-hmm.